This episode of The Homilist is brought to you by Ozark Christian College. For over 75 years, Ozark Christian College has been preparing students for ministry. Ozark's 15,000 alumni are serving in all 50 states and in 100 countries around the world, carrying the gospel to every part of the globe as ambassadors for Christ. For more on Ozark's residential and online degrees, visit occ.edu. Welcome to The Homilist. I'm Jared Ellis. This is a podcast for preachers intended to encourage, educate, and entertain you. If you want to know more about the podcast, it's easy. Go to www.thehomilist.com. My guest today is the senior minister of the church at Mount Gilead in Mooresville, Indiana. He's the co-founder and former director of the National Preaching Summit, which I'll tell you more about at the end of this episode. He is one of the most genuine guys I've had the opportunity to talk with. This is my new friend, Jeff Fall. Let me start by telling you, um, you have become that consistent that consistent voice um, of of preaching that I don't I don't pilfer through uh, I don't pilfer through the podcast looking for interesting titles. I just know that if it's yours, it's going to be sound and it's going to be quality, and I get to just sit and listen, and I don't have to. I don't have to guess at what's going on. You're going to explain it. So thank you for that. I've been listening to a ton of your stuff. Those are incredibly kind words. Thank you. Yeah. What passages of scripture make you laugh? Wow. Um, I don't know if laughter is the right, uh, the right word for it, but um, there's a passage in the Psalms that I ran across the other day. And it, it is God speaking to people who misuse scripture uh, and who are using it for their own ends, saying, what right do you have to take my words into your mouth? Mm-hmm. And there's a little bit of a laughter of reversal that happens there when I hear that, um, because there's a, there's this divine irony that God himself is saying uh, to somebody, hey, you don't even have a right to put my words uh, into your mouth. Mm-hmm. And when I see people taking things out of context wantonly, um, I get a little bit of, uh, of a kick out of that. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. That's good. Uh, I, I love the passage in Job where, <laughs> where, you know, Job has just been antagonizing God about the injustices of his life. And then there's this line to where God kind of just comes flying in and he says to Job, what do you know about ostriches? <laughs> <laughs> And, and you can almost see Job's face go from like, what is so? What? What are you? <laughs> That's awesome. What are you talking about? He's like, do you know anything about ostriches? And Job is downshifting. Like, I, I think that, like, like I, I'm losing. Can I thought you said ostriches? And God's like, I said ostriches. <laughs> like, what do you know about ostriches? And Job's like, okay, I don't, I don't, I nothing. I know nothing about ostriches. He goes, you know what? Ostriches are dumb. They are so dumb. They lay their eggs in the sand. They mash around them with their big feet. Absolutely ridiculous animals. The eggs they lay bigger than the brains in their head. They're dumb. It's the dumbest animal. But if you've seen them run, man, they're a joy to watch run. They shame the horse and rider. I love ostriches. You know that? And Job is in the middle of this horrible thing. And he's like, okay, wow. I just see him with this. This uh, completely taken out of his pain and misery for just one moment as he's going, God's kind of weird, you know? Like, he's he's kind of weird, pointing at ostriches like, yeah, I didn't know that about ostriches, God. That's one of those passages for me that I think about that one, and it always makes me laugh. <laughs> so if one. anybody ever asks me that question again, I'm going to talk about ostriches. Do it. Yeah, that's absolutely. Great. I mean, because that is such a, that's one of those ones that just, every time I see it, I'm like, what a, what a, what a brilliant, what a brilliant thing. Yeah. Um, I, I like that idea. I like that idea. Do you remember where that's found in Psalms? I do not remember the uh, reference. Okay. I'm just going to write it down. Words in your mouth. My words in your mouth. That's really good. Yeah. There's some of those passages that, I read them and I think, oh man, that's hilarious. And then there's these other ones I read and I go, that's that's unfortunately not hilarious at all. Like that's that's in my own that's in my own backyard. Probably this one is probably all too often in my own in my own backyard. Yeah, 
That's really what's good. interesting is when we talk about humor in scripture or the way Jesus used humor, the examples that are given to us by experts are not that fun to our minds because we we miss the background. Like I think one of the most oft used passages is the log in the eye, that that was uh, some kind of humor that Jesus was using that his audience would get uh, much more quickly than we do, um, whereas examples like the one you just gave uh, are the things that would strike us funny, maybe they weren't even intended to be funny. Yeah, yeah, probably so. Yeah, probably so. Yeah, that's good. I, I, I think that's part of the reason why Ozark was such a, such a good experience for me, because they did such a good job of, of laying out the importance of historical context, you know, mm-hmm. and understand, and there's so many, and I, I, and I'm sure other schools do a fine job of teaching that. Um, I only went to Ozark and one of the things that I've, I, I, I've heard over and over from other people is that same thing of, you know, a passage is pulled and we'll just use it and you don't, you don't get the richness of what came in behind it. And man, I really right. felt like Ozark did a wonderful job with that, you know? Um, yeah. And when you hear it done, when you hear it done, when you hear somebody do that poorly, you know, or, or, or kind of modernize it, you know, mm-hmm. not just the illustration, but to, to like take that and put it here. And it's kind of like, ah, man, that it's like the wrong, it's like the wrong fit. You know, it's like the even wrong. if the point they're making is correct. Absolutely right. Absolutely they right. They may not be doing damage to the truth, but they're doing damage to the context and intent of the of the passage. And we've all done it. I absolutely uh, as a young as a young preacher, my dad's a preacher, and um, I would call him excitedly, tell him about the message that I had ready for the next day, and he'd say, "Well, that's really good, son, but um, I hate to tell you this, but that's not what that means." And I would say, well, Dad, that's what it means tomorrow. <laughs> this is written. <laughs> it's done. It's yeah. going to be tomorrow. So, uh, yeah, and, and I know I've done the same thing and probably will continue to do the same thing over and over and over. But understanding that is a thing that, like, Jared, commit yourself to the historical context. I mean, right. commit yourself to really digging in and trying to trying to nail that down as best you can. You know, I mean, that. But you know what? When you do that hard, when you do that hard share work, and there's so much richness that comes out of that, you know, yeah. so much richness that comes out of that. Uh, that's a good deal. Um, who inspires you, Jeff? Who who trips your trigger? Who brings you to a place of just you love to watch? If you could sit in a room and watch them. Well, you've already mentioned his name, but uh, I I love listening to Mark Scott. Um, because there's that intellectual aspect and academic aspect of what he does, but he's so uh, good with all the other aspects of it as well. And never heard him preach a bad sermon. So that kind of style is probably one of my favorites, in addition to the fact that he manages to do it all without a note. The other day I I heard him talking about preaching on Easter, and he uh, was approaching uh, an Easter sermon, and he told his wife the night before, um, "I I don't have anything. This isn't a this isn't a good sermon. I don't have any good illustrations." And she said, "Well, you, you don't illustrate Easter. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the power, not your not your illustrations." And he actually turned that into an illustration and shared some of the most compelling stuff on the resurrection. Uh, freshest stuff that I'd heard in a long time, and immediately I start writing it down, and uh, I'm ready for April because I'm <laughs> listening to Mark Scott. Yeah, exactly right. Yeah, that's incredible. That's incredible. Have you had experiences like that to where you are like you are coming in at the end of the week empty-handed, like you worked at it, you you dug deep, but you're coming in empty-handed, and then like in some just strange stroke of inspiration. It just shows up in your hand. Have you have you had this experience? More times than I can count. Um, I'd say that that happens more often than not because we're uh, the the more you are saturated with the text and the more you're spending time um, musing and uh, what's the the Hebrew word for meditate mutter uh, and so you're muttering to yourself uh, on that text and just running it over and over in your mind and mulling it and. Uh, Every, it's kind of like uh, you're buying a new car, and then when the car you're thinking about buying, every time you're on the road, you see it. Um, yeah. 
And so you start to see everything through the eyes of that text and that subject when you're really letting it infiltrate your mind and heart. And um, a lot of times uh, just at the last moment or even on your feet, um, those illustrations come. Yeah. Daga, right? The Hebrew Pardon? word? Daga. Yes. Right. right. The, yeah. Hebrew word. Daga. Yeah. Um, I was looking uh, I was looking that word up. Uh, coincidentally, just last week, um, I was preaching from Psalm 1. Um, he who delights himself in the law of the Lord and meditates on it day and night. Okay. Look at that word, meditate. And so what's interesting is if you take the word, uh, take the Hebrew word, which I think it's spelt with an H when it's transliterated, I guess. Um, I put in Greek or uh or I mean Hebrew uh, for the word meditate something on anyway it pulled up a YouTube video and I thought now that's weird like that's not I can't even remember what I was looking at but there was a link to a YouTube video and I pulled it up and I was like what is this it was so interesting because what it pulls up is a whole a whole um, I guess a, uh, a litter maybe a, a pride a clutch of of lions. Uh, baby, like little babies, and they're mm-hmm. gnawing at meat. And the whole, the, all you get from the sound is, you know, and it's this, it's this onomatopoeia of just chomping away, chew on huh. this, you know. It's a, it was a really cool, really yeah, cool. Yeah, it's even richer. Yeah, it's a really yeah. cool. And you know, I don't, I don't like to use a lot of video and stuff when I preach. I'm not, I'm, I don't do that. I don't do that very well. I, I. I don't, number one, I don't want to spend the time looking for that stuff. Mm-hmm. But when I saw that one, I was like, golly, but you can't show them that. Yeah. yeah. You just got to show it. And I said, look, I don't like to do this, but you got to see this. This is just so cool. And what the word meditate means. And it came on and it's just lions in the sanctuary, <laughs> you know, just yeah. gnawing away. It was really, it was really cool. Later on, people were like, you know what? Like that, I wasn't expecting to see that when it came to, I'm like, I know, like it was it's pretty good. It's a pretty good word, you know? So I think it reminds us uh, that old guys like us can talk to ourselves too. And it's all right. <laughs> That's a fact. That's a fact, you know, walking around, just mumbling stuff and, you know, cranking stuff through, putting it through the grind. Yeah. Yeah. I, you mentioned, you mentioned something like, and I don't remember how you phrased it, something about on the fly or in the moment to yeah. learn that an inspiration. And, you know, the Holy Spirit just speaks something to you <laughs> a few weeks back. I had, a, I had a sermon prepared, and I had two points. And then my third point, I left blank because I was like, there's a third, there's a third point here. And I know there's a third point. And I was con- absolutely convinced of it. But I wasn't convinced on what it was. I was just like, okay, well, well let's go with the two, and we'll see if we give a third uh, later, I guess. And man, I tell you what, slam the first one. I'm so proud of it. Slam the second point. Oh, so proud of it. Coming to the third, feeling real insecure, and I mean, just this stroke of just heavenly brilliance. And I'm like, oh, that is so good. I talk about it afterward. Everybody comes up, and you know what? That third point, powerful. I'm like, yeah, yeah, that's not mine. That wasn't, of course, of course, you like that one. You would well, like On that. the rare occasions that I have that stroke of heavenly brilliance, it usually comes after the sermon's over, and I realize I did it all wrong. <laughs> <laughs> that, that happens too. That happens to me too. Or it can be like uh, last week as I continued to think about the uh, the text and um, it, you know the outline all made sense, but there wasn't that how that that so what at the end of the the sermon. And I met with a preacher friend of mine. Just he had no idea what I was preaching on, so I told him, and I said, "How would you do that?" And his answer just immediately was the epiphany that I've been looking for. He didn't even hesitate. Like here, this is something I've been gnawing on all week and don't get it. And in an instant out of his personal walk with God, bam, he had the answer. Yeah. Uh, and of course his answer became my answer for Sunday yeah. morning. But uh, this, was this the, uh, the, the final point in, in one of your last sermons on until your affections change. You can't that was get, it. Yeah, man, that's brilliant. I was, I just come home from the gym and I was sitting in the truck outside before I went into the house and I was finishing up the sermon and I still have my headphones on and I'm like, man, I'm like, this is, this is really good. And he got to the third one. Like, you know what? I asked somebody else 
until your affections change. Right. Can you give it to me word for word? Uh, basically, it was something along the lines, uh, you can't get rid of those old affections until you have a new greater affection. And um, so I took him out to lunch today uh, and told him what I was preaching on this Sunday and didn't quite strike the gold like I did last week. But uh, Come on, fella. Um, these lunches are yeah. expensive. Yeah, that's right. You're, you're not getting an egg roll today. That's exactly right. Uh, yeah, that was a really great point. And you know what? That's really cool. I worked with drug and alcohol recovery stuff for several, several years. Um, and that that would have been a powerful piece to have back then. You know, that would have been a powerful piece to have back then. Um, and that, I mean, that really did. That, that impacted me on a couple of different levels, on a personal level, but also on a ministry level. That was a great one. So you talk to your guy again. I'll let him know. I appreciated it. It was very powerful. That was your, was your cousin, you said? That's my cousin, yeah. He he uh, preaches here in the area. So, uh, yeah, that was wonderful. That was wonderful. That was a wonderful point. What's your uh, What's your preaching What's your preaching process? When's your, when, when does your week start? Uh, what, well, um, a lot of times I'll really start in earnest, uh, you know, mapped out kind of uh, where I'm going in the series, but I'll start in earnest on Sunday night um, just to get that, that uh, you know, muttering process um, going in, uh, uh, on Sunday evenings. Um, and then I'll do more on Monday and Tuesday, but my big day is Wednesday morning. Sunday night, Jeff? Yeah, it's just, uh, it's not deep, not deep uh, stuff. It's just, hey, I'm going to look at this text. I'm going to get this churning around in my mind. I'll feel better about the whole week if it's, if it's happening. You know, it's kind of like, was it Dave Stone who said one time, preaching is like giving birth to a child and then waking up on Monday morning and finding out you're pregnant again. And so I just moved that to Sunday night just enough to get the the uh, juices flowing and start uh, thinking about it in your subconscious and uh, knowing some direction. Listen, I'm not sure that I still want to be a Christian come Sunday afternoon, let alone start. Like it takes me till Monday to I'm like, am I still in the game? Yeah, I think I'm still in the game. We can keep doing this. I think we'll keep doing it. Okay, get your stuff out. Let's start Sunday night. That's pretty good. Well, it's not, it's not out of any great discipline or anything. It's out of desperation um, that it really isn't taxing because it's just, hey, I'm going to take a look at this and just get it turning. Um, not doing any heavy work unless it just starts flowing. Uh, but, man, what a great feeling if all of a sudden it does start flowing on Sunday night and you're headed into Monday morning. Um, you know, i got a preacher friend in the area, Gary Johnson, at the Indian Creek Christian Church. He's got his whole manuscript written three weeks ahead of time, and uh, you know that's not me. I, I, it's got to be coming in those days preceding the the delivery, um, or I'll end up rewriting it and being unhappy with it. Yeah, uh, that's pretty. Uh, that's pretty good. Okay, here's here's my commitment. I'm gonna I'm gonna make this commitment. Um, I'm gonna do that. I'm gonna do that. Um, we just started a study in Psalms. So I'm going to do that through this study in Psalms. I'm going to start working on my stuff on that Sunday night. And hopefully we can get together again and we can talk about this because I'd be happy to report to you. Um, it's a useless practice and I'm not going to continue to do it or it was a game changer for me. So I'm going to give that a whirl. Uh, I'm interested in you preaching on the Psalms. How are you uh, structuring that? Well, um, introduction was just this last week. Um, okay. Started in, in Psalm one, and um, basically the idea of the of the of the entire series is it's it's really not a tight series. Uh, we're going to focus on we're going to focus on the names of God, uh, some of the names um, that, that we approach Him with. You know, mm-hmm. He's my refuge, He's my shield, um, He's my provider, He's my protector. So some of those ideas. Um, also, I'm working with uh, the and this is kind of this one's kind of a little a little bit different. The attitudes and emotions that we approach God with as a, as a study of prayer that you see this, you know, David David approaches God at times, or, or, or any of the other psalmists approach God with this idea of, or with this heart of, 
you know, you're wonderful. I praise you for all that you've done. You, I'm so thankful. My life is wonderful. You've done so many good things. But then there's those other ones that, you know, how long? How, how long, really, are you going to let me stay in this mess? You know, how long? Forever? You know, you know, you know who doesn't praise your name? Dead people. God, that's who, you know, yeah. uh, dead people can't do it. So if you're going to let me die, just know, like, that's going to affect you as well. You know, and some of the attitudes that we come, uh, just as a study and just as a study in prayer. Uh, so that's that's kind of what I'm working with. Um, I've got a guy who's going to who's going to preach this next week because I'm taking this, this coming Sunday off. And so he's he's going to go a different route. But then I'm going to come back in and tighten everything up and start with the names and then some of the emotions and attitudes towards God. And then basically the, the, the end of it is, um, although all my emotions might not always be right, my faithfulness and my obedience is key, even though I don't understand. So that's kind of that's kind of where I'm going. It's, it's pretty loose. It's really pretty loose. Well, Walter Brueggemann uh, says there's three kinds of psalms. There's psalms of orientation. Um, psalms of disorientation and psalms of reorientation. So the psalms of orientation are the ones where everything is right with the world. How blessed is the man who, you know, yeah. uh, walks in the way of righteousness and blah, 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 blah. The Lord is my shepherd. There's those psalms of orientation where, man, all is well with the world and everything is as it should be. But then there are those psalms of disorientation. Or oh, my God, my God, why, why have you uh, forsaken me? Uh, and... Then the third kind of psalms, psalms of reorientation, where you come back from that disorientation into a new reorientation that realizes the the um, the hard um, realities of of life, and so we're always in a process of moving from disorientation to orientation to reorientation, and um, when I start looking at the psalms that way, uh, man, that that'll preach. Yeah. Um, N.T. Wright says that Jesus grew up and lived and did his ministry in a psalm-soaked world, um, which I think is really fascinating because Jesus saw life through the lens of the psalms, and the psalms are quoted more than any other Old Testament book by Jesus. And, um, man, I, I am so convinced that the psalms are more than something for grandma in the nursing home or something that we comfort ourselves with at the graveside, as, as good as it is, as they are for those kinds of things. Um, the psalms form one of the deepest preaching wells of anything I know in all of Scripture. So, uh, man, you're barking up the right tree with that. Uh, yeah, it sounds like maybe a bit off one I can chew. That's what it sounds like. <laughs> hey, which book, which book uh, was that in a book by, by Brueggemann? Brueggemann has a book called uh, Praying the Psalms, um, and N.T. Wright has one called The Case for the Psalms, and both of them are brief, easy reads and uh, well worth uh, your time if you're spending time in the Psalms for uh, preaching the Psalms. I think I, have the, I think I have the Walter Brueggemann book on Psalms. Um, I have several of his. I wonder, if I, I wonder if that's one that I picked up. Um, and then C.S. Lewis on the Psalms is great, and so is a guy named um, Trimper Longman, um, yeah. who's an Old Testament scholar. Uh, and then if you want to get in the typology of the Psalms and, and more of the theology of the Psalms, uh, I, think it's, I think it's William Kaiser, I'm not sure, that has a book on the Messianic uh, Psalms so that you're constantly going back to Jesus in the Psalms. Wow, that's good. It's, it's just a well. Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. Back to you. Your your uh, your week. You start writing on on Wednesday. When's it finished? Do you ever stop writing before? Well, the deadline to have in all the um, outline and PowerPoint stuff for the worship people um, and for the bulletins and graphics is is Wednesday at about noon. Gotcha. So um, a lot of times I'll just have the outline and stuff done by noon, but I'm still working uh, from that time on finding illustrations and occasionally I have to move something around that'll change that uh, outline, but um, usually I, I, I want to have it under control by by Wednesday night. Yeah, yeah. I want to, doesn't mean it is. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it, how much of your devotional life 
and your preaching life? Uh, how, how, how mixed are they? You know, I've wrestled with that my whole ministry because I hear somebody get up at a seminar or something and say, I'm not talking about studying for a lesson. I'm talking about your walk with Christ. Um, I, I'm a believer that you don't have to separate those two as much as people have made us believe. Um, because if you are tuned into Scripture and you're allowing God to speak to you through Scripture, I understand the difference between personal devotion and stuff you have to do for a sermon, but it all merges together in, in my head so much. So this Sunday I'm preaching on um, Matthew 11, Come to me all you who are weary and heavy laden. And so when I'm in my uh, early devotional time, that's where my mind and, and heart's going to naturally gravitate. So I'm not trying so hard to keep two se- separate tracks with the content, maybe with the way I approach it. But that devotional life is where some of the richest stuff comes from for the sermons. Yeah. So I don't I don't make that distinction as much as uh, as I see some people doing. Maybe I'm wrong, but that's my uh, that's my approach. I find it pretty hard to um, uh, compartmentalize my thoughts. Right. When it comes to read this, read this for the purpose of internalizing and then read this on a almost on an intellectual level level or a, or a just cognitive level, you know, mm-hmm. it, and, and I understand, but I, I mean, I wouldn't have any idea how to separate that thing. I've asked a lot of guys the same thing. They've, they've, they've all given similar answers, you know, that, well, I, to totally separate it almost seems to say that you think your sermon preparation is just a, a mechanical, yeah. um, you know, I agree. List. And it, yeah. it, it can't be that. Yeah, I agree. Almost like that's the job. Like this is the job portion. Mm-hmm. Just, but I can't, I can't, I can't, I have a hard time with that. I have a hard time with that. Um, yeah. Well, that's interesting. That's interesting. That's, that's, that's been, the, that's been nearly the same answer that everybody has given. Like, ah, like, I don't know. I can't even, you know, yeah. I can't, I can't juggle. I can't juggle three at a time. I can't juggle. Three at a time. I think the question is, uh, are you still doing it on the weeks you don't have to preach? And the answer is yes. Right. So. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Um, who hears the sermon before before you preach it? Anybody? Uh, no, nobody hears the sermon. I bounce ideas off of people. Um, my wife's favorite statement is, hey, I'd rather wait till Sunday and hear it. In other words, shut up. You're boring me. Um, <laughs> our staff has a morning uh a prayer time every morning here at nine o'clock. And, um, a lot of times I'll bounce certain ideas or ask questions, uh, of the staff. Um, um, if something excites me so much, I jump up from my desk needing to tell it, um, and somebody hears parts of it, but I, I try not to, uh, you know, bother people with it all the time. I don't think it would be a bother at all. Uh, internal processor or external processor? Do you know what's going on inside your head until you say it, or you you go to gather it all, you're putting it out there? Um, I'm internal processor. Yeah. Yeah. I I like to I I want to get it right in my head before I open my mouth. Yeah. <laughs> well, let me tell you something. Um, God has surrounded me with the greatest group of internal processors in the world. And God has surrounded them with one of the most um, loudmouth uh, external processors, <laughs> maybe in the, maybe in the county. I don't know. Well, from what I can see, uh, you do a good job of external processing, and sometimes those ideas that come out of somebody's head when they're processing externally can trigger things in other people in incredible ways. Oh, man, I, I I wish I wish I had a little bit more of that. Jared, calm yourself down. Think it through. There's no thinking it through. We're gonna have to paint the walls. Then we'll go back, look at it, and say, "Yeah, that's not really a good color. We're going to have to change that a little bit." Yeah. You know, I don't, I don't have that thing very. I'm not very good at that. So. Well, what I, I guess there's probably two answers to that question because another one of my habits is to um, take a text and and say everything I know about it, every possible thought I have about it, out loud and record it to myself. Mm. Because if I don't, I can't even you know, type fast enough or write fast enough to get my thoughts and ideas down. So a lot of times I will just speak it into a microphone, uh, even use dragon speak sometimes. So it's 
uh, actually um, written down. Yeah. And then I'm capturing those thoughts because I can lose a thought just like that. And uh, if I capture that external processing by myself, then I can go yeah. back and hit it. Uh, that's excellent. That's excellent. Are you or someone you know wanting to make a difference with your life, but you're not sure where to start? At Ozark Christian College in Joplin, Missouri, they help students discover the kingdom assignment that God has for them and then train them to carry it out. Ozark prepares students for all kinds of Christian service, biblical communication, biblical justice, youth and children's ministry, counseling, missions, organizational leadership, worship and creative arts, and much more. Ozark's close community, Bible foundation, and commitment to service prepares students to take the gospel to every corner of the globe as ambassadors for Christ. And Ozark's affordable tuition offers a quality private Christian education at a public university price. Ozark Christian College, your mission is out there. Your training starts here. How long have you been doing? How long have you been doing preaching ministry? I've been at this church for thirty years, and I was five years preaching at a at my first ministry. Got you, got you. Um, so when, and I appreciate that too. I appreciate that, especially in a world where people are. Mm, and I'm not. I don't want this to sound critical, but there's a lot of guys who. They seem to be just climbing, you know, mm-hmm. one church to, to the next church to the and just kind of climbing um, almost like it's the corporate ladder, you know, like <clears throat> stepping stone to places. Excuse me. <clears throat> and finding people who have been at a place and staying at a place for the duration. Uh, that's that's kind of a rare thing. So I appreciate that. That's really that's really a cool thing. Um which brings me to my question, when, when you stay in a place for 30 years, the congregation gets to see you um, at your best and at your worst, uh, in the middle of fights that you have with your wife, in the middle of uh, kid problems. Uh, how, do you, how do you handle some of the breakdowns uh, that can happen to all of us while you're, while you're leading a church? Well... I'm back to the longevity issue. I think there's great um, benefits that come from that, and there are pitfalls with it as well. Um, but I think people watching you um, navigate that kind of stuff in life uh, can actually be a, a positive thing. And this is this is going to sound really silly, but uh, I remember years ago, uh, before we were even in this building, we're in another building, and the projection system was on the back wall. And there was something wrong with it during a Sunday night service, back when we still had Sunday night services. I stepped, I took my shoes off, stepped on a chair that was on the back, reached up to adjust that during the worship time. And there was a lady sitting on the back row, and she turned around and saw me stepping up on that chair uh, with my, uh, I'd taken my shoes off, and there was a hole in the back of my sock. And she started pointing at that, and like she was just absolutely um, thunderstruck that I ha- actually had a hole in my sock. Like he has a hole in his sock and she's like talking about it. And I, I kind of realized at that moment that she had this, this picture of, of me in her mind that I wouldn't have a hole in my sock. Everything's right in my world. <laughs> right. And I know that's a silly illustration of it, but it's stuck in my mind. And I think when you, somewhere for a long time and they start to see the warts and the, the difficulties um, and the fact that you don't hide those, whether you're having a, a problem with your, with one of your children or, um, you know, going through some struggles at home. Uh, I think that endears people to you and they realize, yeah, he, he's human. He's got issues too. And if he can face these, you know, we can face these, uh, watched, uh, watched my oldest son, I have three kids, um, go through a, um, his wife, his wife left him. He was in the military and his wife left him. And, um, you have to swallow your pride on that and not try to present yourself as the perfect, uh, family. And so the more you can even use some of your imperfections by showing transparency in the pulpit and laughing at yourself, um, even, you know, the sermon you mentioned the other day where I'm just admitting, you know, 
how do I do that? Why is this still here after 40 years of following Christ? So I think the right level of transparency, um, I think, I think people learn to appreciate that and realize that it's not some unattainable place that you want to go, but here's a guy that's navigating life with us. Yeah. How, how do you, how do you, uh, how would you teach somebody else to do that, do that same thing, you know, to, to interact with, to interact with the struggles because self-disclosure in the pulpit is a, is a very difficult thing because you can do that. And, but, but at the same time, you can keep yourself so pulled back that you're absolutely unrelatable. You know, yeah. how do you, what's the best advice on, on how to do that? What's the scale on how much to give, how much to keep back? Wow. This is this is it's so subjective, but you want to give them enough to have hope and realize that you've struggled and worked through those issues, too, but not give them so much that they completely lose um, uh, trust and faith in what you say or you you lose uh, uh, credibility. Um, I, I always thought Bob Russell was a master at that, where he would admit weaknesses, but it it never was so graphic or detailed that you didn't want to listen to what he had to say uh, the next time. And I, I think just watching people who are skilled at that um, might be the best way to, to discover what the right amount of, dis, you know, self-disclosure is. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good answer. That's a, that's a tough thing. That's a tough thing. Um, you've been preaching for what, 35 years then? Yes. May a little bit more than that if you include, um, you know, the, all the preaching in preparation and seminary and those kinds of things. Right, right. Where did you go to school? I went to school at CCU. Bob Stacy was my uh, uh, preaching professor, and I remember probably the best piece of advice I got when I started. Uh, my dad said to me, um, son, if you want to learn to preach, preach. And... Um, <laughs> Every time I got the opportunity to preach, even when I was busy in school um, and, um, you know, had other obligations, I, I took those opportunities because there's just no there's no substitute for the experience that comes with standing up and opening your mouth and doing it. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. That's true. So do you how, how many sons do you have? I have two sons and a daughter. Uh-huh. Um, is one of them a preacher as well? Yeah, my oldest son is a cop um, here in Indianapolis. My daughter is a uh, worship leader and music teacher in Louisville, and her husband is a, uh, a preacher at Northeast Christian Church in Louisville. And then my youngest son is in a church plant in Boston. Oh, wow. That's cool. Yeah. That's cool. So... What about your? Is this so? It's just three generations of preachers, or is there? Is there it goes no- back further than that. My uh, my dad's a preacher. His dad's a preacher. Um, his uh, his dad's dad was a circuit riding Methodist preacher, and then my son is a preacher. So there's. Uh, well, I think one day we were at my grandmother's uh, 80th birthday party or 85th birthday party, and uh, with cousins and uncles, there were like 17 or 18 preachers. So. There's always somebody to give the prayer, you know. <laughs> yeah, you can't pray if you're not a preacher. Yeah, that's exactly. Right. Oh, you're a preacher. You should. Yeah. You yeah. should pray. Yeah, oh, that's funny. So um, you and you and somebody else. I don't remember. I don't remember who. But I was kind of responsible for the. What what, what, what was it called? The, the, the National Preaching, preaching Summit. So, yeah, yeah, National Preaching Summit, uh, which started when. It started in 1995, Al Sir Hall, uh, and I uh, kind of um, dreamed that up and started inviting uh, preachers uh, in to speak. And our whole goal, much like what you said at the beginning uh, of uh, this uh, conversation, our whole goal was we just want to encourage preachers. Um, There's that old W.E. Sangster quote. He said, the, the most humble preacher in the tiniest town can whisper to himself on the way to the pulpit on Sunday morning, nothing more important is going to happen in this town than what I'm about to do today. And we just wanted to elevate the primacy of preaching. Um, you know how it falls uh, into uh, uh, 
uh, I don't know, the, the attitudes of people sometimes toward preaching, even now, um, get rather uh, negative or dismissive. And um, I think that there will always be power in preaching. And those of us who do it have just one of the greatest privileges in the world. And I, I think people need to be, uh, preachers need to be reminded of the importance of what they do. I agree 100%. I agree 100%. How old are you, Jeff? I am 56. Okay. Uh, I'm 41. And um, I tell you what, anytime, anytime somebody begins to talk about wanting to go into preaching ministry, that always excites me. That always excites me because, you know, what an, what an excellent, what an excellent opportunity you have to impact people around you. And it doesn't even matter how big your church is. It doesn't even right. matter if this is a thing that you're doing that you're not even doing in a church. This is a thing that you're doing, you know, on the road or with the group mm-hmm. of people that you work with, you know, that, man, when you get to do that, you get that opportunity to do that. And somehow, somehow through all the things that we're getting hit with on a regular basis on what are you going to grow up and be? What are you going to do with your life? What's your, what, what's, what, what are your goals? Somehow we hear, we hear this, call to, hey, maybe you want to go talk for me. Maybe you'd like to work for me. Yep. Maybe you'd like to go into these places and tell these stories. And, you know, I don't I don't know about you, but preaching, um, I didn't want to be a preacher. I didn't want to. I did not want to be a preacher. Um, uh, I had such a, a hard time under, <laughs> understanding, like, how is that a cool job? Like, that, I don't understand how that's a cool job at all, you know? Yeah. And I, but I knew it. I knew that the Lord was like preaching. We're going to preach preaching like that is. I don't know a cool preacher. Like I'm having a hard time. I don't know one, you know. And as a kid, I'm like, I don't know a cool one, you know. Like, golly. But I tell you what, when I got to that place and I began to understand, I'm, I'm at Ozark and I'm, and I'm hearing these guys talk about preaching the way they talk about it. You know, I'm examining my skill sets and I'm thinking, man, you I'm not cut out for a lot, you know. I don't fix things very good, you know. I'm not not super handy. Couldn't overhaul a an engine, you know. This I don't know, but preaching, especially, like that, sounds like you have to be a pretty decent person, you know. And I'm not really on the inside a real decent person, you know. And I'm thinking, how in the world can I? And I took this class, and I was sitting with uh, 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 Matt Proctor. And uh, Mark Scott were team teaching advanced biblical preaching and I think expository preaching, uh, advanced biblical preaching. And still at that point, I was like, man, I'm not sure that this is it. And they begin to talk about storytelling and they begin to talk about poetry. They begin to talk about people like Garrison Keeler, who I'd listened to for years and years as a kid. You know, and I would tune into it, Prairie Home Companion, you know, and I was a lake wolf of God. And, you know, and I would listen to these and loved it. And these guys are talking about that stuff. And I'm thinking, okay, wait, 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 wait. Maybe I do have like some ability or passion towards preaching. I just had it in my head that it was something different and weird and disconnected. But like these guys made it a thing of. No, 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 no. Filter this through however the weird way God made you and pour it out. And I thought, okay, wonderful. That's wonderful. That's made a that's made a huge difference. Preaching was not just an occupation. Like preaching came into my life and that became a okay, you can use you can use a weirdo. You can use a weirdo like me. Mm-hmm. To do something. Um, that was that was a really that was a really impactful thing for me, you know. Um, I found myself useful in that spot. Even more so, it seemed as if God said, you know, hey, I made you for this thing. <laughs> this was crazy to me, you know. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I do. I really do. I really I appreciate appreciate what you guys did with that. And I remember hearing about that. I remember hearing about that. Um, well, it's still going on. Um, uh, College Press um, still conducts that uh, and has for probably about 10 years now. So, wow, that's wonderful. In the in the thirty five years that you've been preaching and even doing the National Preaching Summit, and probably um, you know all the other all the other types of 
you know, ministry stuff you've been involved with. How have you seen preaching change over the years? Have you seen a shift in it? Have you seen it take stages? Oh, yeah. Um, you know, I was taught the old school method. It's more of a deductive uh, type thing. You find your central thesis and you have some main points to, to bear that out. Um, and then, of course, we were taught all the other methods, but we always kind of gravitated back to that. And um, the change that I've seen in the last years, uh, you know, last decade or so, really that move toward conversational preaching and a lot of times uh, maybe not as much structure. Uh, the preacher may have a structure in his mind, but there's not so much structure, uh, an outline for the for the congregation. And occasionally I will intentionally, uh, I like to joke, have a pointless sermon, you know, a sermon without points. Um <laughs> But my people are so conditioned to having something to write down on a page of notes or something like that, that usually at least at the end of it, I'll have some application points or something for them to to walk away with. Um, so I think the changes, uh, when I first started out, there was more of an oratorical style. Mm-hmm. And now it's more of a conversational style and people who still have that old style are seen as a little bit archaic and, uh, and outdated. So I still enjoy some of the great, as they, as uh, preaching magazine calls them the past masters. Uh, and one of my favorite uh, preachers in the Christian church is Bob Shannon. And uh, Bob Shannon was, you know, like a preacher before his time uh, he, his big thing was never letting the audience know where you're going. He'd say a sermon's like a river. And, and so he was always saving the punch, uh, till the end and did not want to be predictable in any way, shape or form. But I, I've just found that week after week preaching to the same people, trying to help them live that, um, that sort of old fashioned style of, uh, sharing some some structure with them still works for me. So try not to let that be something that I do just out of habit or laziness. Mm-hmm. Um, I but I, I think it works on a week to week basis. And then I think I think part of the thing that can help with that is having somebody else in that has a different style. One of the one of the con- uh, one of the people the congregation here loves to hear is Tommy Oaks. Have you ever listened to Tommy Oaks? Yeah, I have. Yeah, he's got a doctorate in storytelling, and yeah. he comes in. You have no idea where this guy's going to go. Um, and our people, when you say Tommy Oaks is coming, uh, we don't have enough seats in the house for him because yeah. the place just fills up. Um, do you think that the new conversational, the new conversational, I say new. It's uh, not new now, yeah. Right, but this conversational style, is it is it similar to um, to the old jazz homiletic on uh, letting the letting the audience do a little bit of the work. Um, I don't know. I, I I just tend to think that things go in cycles, and I, I that um, this this will be what we do for a while, as long as there's guys like Andy Stanley around and people are modeling uh, after them, and somebody else will uh, come up, grab everybody's attention, and. You know, then we'll talk more like that person does. And I think it's best to just adapt your own style and be who you are. Yeah. Yeah, that's a uh, that's a good one. Uh, let me ask you some uh, some uh, some strange questions uh, that that you have absolutely no knowledge of. I didn't send them to you. I'm just curious. OK. Um, have you ever been fired from a job? No. <clears throat> OK. You need to step up your game a little bit if you're going to hang out with me. Yeah. Um uh, what are some of the what are some of the pitfalls that you see preachers falling into? Um, wow, I mean, there's the most common ones, and uh, you know, the moral pitfalls are. Uh, um, I I think that laziness uh, mm-hmm. is one of the things that they fall into. It can be the hardest job in the world, or or it can be something you really take advantage of. And um, with I remember years ago, sitting down, 22 years old, I'm in the office of a little country church. I have a yellow legal pad, an open Bible, and a concordance, and maybe one Chuck Swindoll book to find an illustration in, and no idea what's coming that Sunday, and everything is coming out of just your study of the scripture and what comes down on that 
uh, legal pad, and maybe if you remembered some book that you read, you could, uh, and you had a filing system, you could come up with an illustration. Um, and I, I liken it to um, having to learn your multiplication tables, and now you have a calculator. You know, uh, back then you had to know those multiplication tables, and now you can go on the Internet, and you can type something in, and I have a calculator now. But I, I see guys being really lazy with that, um, where they're just going to go find what the newest trend is on the Internet and yeah. and preach that, and they never do the hard uh, work or the internalization of owning the text and owning the the insight that they're about to share. And they're missing out on one of the greatest aspects of preaching. I mean, sometimes the preparation can actually be bring more joy than the delivery itself. Absolutely. Uh, I'll, I'll be sitting in my chair and I'll come across some insight. I want to jump up out of that chair and tell somebody, I mean, this is incredible. I don't yeah. care how many times I've looked at this text before. Man, that is awesome. Yeah. And um, just can't contain the excitement of that. And they, they never get that joy. They're just, found something cool that somebody else says and it might be good stuff but it's not theirs yeah yeah there's a uh there's a real act of worship in the in the preparation process oh, man. to where you're you're scrolling through and you stumble on a thing and all of a sudden it's like you know you find yourself on the floor find myself standing up with my hands in the air yeah. like that is incredible. That is incredible. Of all yeah. the stories I've heard, of all the things I've read on this, never caught that, never saw it. That's beautiful. Yeah, that's absolutely. Uh, yeah, that's true. That's true. If um, if you ever got out of preaching, what would you go into? Maybe some kind. Of, I, I'd like to write. Yeah. Um, but um, I've also liked some kinds of sales. Um, I love I love automobiles. I'm not saying I want to be a car salesman, but I I, I love muscle cars and uh, everything automotive and I don't know maybe something in that arena as far as just what interests me. Yeah. I don't know if I'd want to do it for a living, but uh, haven't really considered those alternatives. Yeah. Do you uh, do you have a muscle car? I do not. The last car I had was a '70 Mustang set up in the barn, and I just thought that's too much money to just be sitting up there. Um, so I, uh, I'm content to occasionally uh, drool over a friend's muscle car <laughs> or collect die-cast models. Right. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's cool. That's real cool. Um, so I've got this goal that, that someday I'm going to own a Porsche. Um, All right. I don't know how. Uh, it will probably have to be an old one, and I'll probably have to spend a lot of time on it. But I love them. Especially you to get yourself a Cayenne, run the family around in a Porsche SUV. Uh, yeah, yeah, those. I I, I would really the fifteen-year-old version of myself would probably beat me up if I did something That's like that. Be like, "Are you serious, man? All these years we've been dreaming, and this is what you come home? I'm ashamed of who you are." Like that's what would happen to me. Well, when uh, my favorite ad for a Corvette, it has this this old style picture of a kid sitting at a table and he's putting together a plastic model of a Corvette and the caption says, when you were a kid, you made yourself a promise. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, it's just, that's almost like a goosebump moment thinking about, yeah, I remember 15 years old. I'm going to have one of those somewhere. And the power of that ad to, that's why you see all these 60 year old guys who can finally afford it going out and buying a Corvette, you know, absolutely right. For 15, you made yourself a promise. You made yourself a promise. Yeah, that's good. That's a good one. That's a real good one. Uh, well, I tell you what, I'm a, I'm a, I'm not a, I'm not a car guy in that. But man, I'm telling you what, the 911, the Porsche 911, lose my mind over them. Just absolutely love them. Just love them to pieces. Those are those are so beautiful. Cool. Oh man, those are so cool. I heard somebody talking about it on a podcast the other day, and they were showing a picture of it. I think it was Joe Rogan had somebody, uh, maybe Bill Burr. Do you know who either one of those guys, Joe Rogan yeah. or Bill Burr? Okay. Um, they were on their podcast talking about something, which Bill, which Joe Rogan sometimes has some very, um, occasionally has some very decent things to offer into the world. But for the most part, he just really just rips on anything holy, you know? Yeah. Um, I mean, just the, and he drives me batty, but 
regardless. He's talking about cars with Bill Burr, and he points to a Porsche 911. And Bill Burr says, yeah, it's kind of an ugly car, isn't it? I'm like, I wanted to reach through and punch Bill Burr right in his face. I thought, are you kidding me? It's a beautiful car. It's a beautiful car. Maybe you better stick with Jay Leno. He likes them all. That's true. He does. He does. He's a big fan. He's a big fan. Um, what else? Anything else? Do you collect anything? <clears throat> uh, I, uh, have a, I have quite a pocket knife collection, and <laughs> I, uh, I like to play with RC cars. Radio controlled cars. So, have you got into drones at all? No, I, I um, I've flown them a couple of times, but I don't have one. Yeah, all right. yeah. Are you any- um, stylists notice complicated hairstyles. Singers notice talented vocalists. What do you notice? Well, this probably isn't the the answer you might have thought you would get, but um, when I was in college, I attended a little church in Cincinnati every Sunday that I was, uh, that I was there in town and there was this, uh, non flamboyant, um, ordinary preacher that I would hear every Sunday. And, um, I remember sitting and listening to him thinking he's not this most incredibly dynamic preacher I ever heard, but he gets on base every single week. There's something substantive every single time I hear the man preach. That's what I want to be. Um, So I notice when somebody consistently puts out solid material every single time, because anybody can develop, you know, three or four masterpieces and, um, you know, come in and knock everybody's socks off. And man, that's every perfect illustration and joke and, uh, gesture right, but the guy that is feeding the flock week after week after week after week, especially for decades, um, something different every December 25th and something different every Resurrection uh, Sunday, a new look at that, and he's not repeating his old stuff. Um, that's what I notice, the person that just cranks it out and cranks it out and cranks it out, because the only way they can do that is to be connected to the source. And, um, so as, as a preacher, I notice when a homiletician does that. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. If you've got guys in front of you, um, broke down, uh, the single staff guy in, in, uh, rural, rural America, um, the, the worn out preacher, uh, in the mega church that's hiding in isolation mm-hmm. uh, the, the the ones who are um, who, who are wrestling with the with depression with the breakdown at home with a prodigal with a prodigal uh, a son or daughter um, or they're bivocational mm-hmm. and they all their time driving the bus framing houses fixing faucets and then showing up to the showing up to the church on Sunday with a with a half-written sermon on a napkin that they that they pulled out of their lunch pail on, on on Wednesday in the free moment that they had, if you've got those people in front of you, and what do you tell them? What do you tell them to encourage them to uh, to spur them to spur them on? Well, maybe two things. First of all, that may be the purest form of ministry that there is because they're. They're doing more than likely doing it for the right reasons um, to have to um, juggle all the all the balls that they juggle. But the thing that comes to mind: you ever watch the movie Moneyball? Oh yeah, 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 and yeah. Absolutely. There's this line when they think that their system, their new system for picking a team and running a a, a baseball organization has failed. Um, there's this line, and I, I wish I could remember the exact words. Or it's failing me now. But basically, after this guy has poured his life and heart and soul into this, and it looks like he's failed, they've discovered something in this this Moneyball system. And he said, um, we were hitting a grand slam and didn't even know it. Mm-hmm. And the word doesn't come back void. And those guys that are sowing that seed week after week after week, man, you may be hitting a grand slam and you don't even know it because as trite as it sounds eternity reveals 
what our efforts and our words uh, have done. And you've had people come up to you a million times probably and say, man, you don't know what it meant to me when you said this. And you think that was maybe the weakest part of your sermon. Um, and yet something even out of context resonated for them. And, and so I, I think just letting people know that there are results to preaching that are so deep and so eternal that they may not, they not even, may not even be aware of their deepest impact. Um, and again, it's back to that little quote, you know, the, the humblest preacher in the smallest town can whisper to himself on the way to the pulpit on Sunday morning. Nothing more important is going to happen than what I'm about to do in this town. And uh, I think the more preachers understand the gravity of their calling, um, the, you know, Chuck Swindoll said, imagine a, Imagine this room full of movers and shakers. They're the kind of people that set uh, world order, and um, when they make a decision, it affects everybody. Imagine this room full of these powerful people in a boardroom making these decisions. And then imagine a little white country frame church uh, with about 30 people singing, bringing in the sheaves. Um, Which one of those scenes is more important in the eyes of God? And you and I both know the answer to that. And so I think the guy that's, that you describe needs to realize the importance of what he's doing in the eyes of almighty God who has given him that call to go and proclaim the gospel. It doesn't get any better than that. Thank you for sharing that. I appreciate it. Um, If you don't mind, before I, before I jump off of here, I want to tell you a couple of things um, about, about your preaching. Uh, I I told you, I told you uh, earlier that you become that voice. You become that voice of just, Consistency, which which explains a lot, which explains a lot in in your explanation of you hearing a guy who is always consistent and you saying, "I want to be able to be that." That's definitely what you are. You you are so consistent in that, and I, I appreciate that a bunch. Thank you. Thank uh, you. On a, on a mechanical level, here's the thing that I really I appreciate a couple things on on a mechanical level. The first one, the main one, is this: your um, your ability to take an illustration. And make it perfectly match what you're talking about um, is really, really good because there's a lot of people who will shotgun blast illustrations. You know what I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. Because we're going to be we're going to be talking about you know um, <laughs> take the Psalms passage. Oh, we're going to talk about sheep. And you're like, you know, my grandpa had a sheep once. Yeah. You know. I mean, and then it's just kind of goes, I don't know what you know about sheep, but, you know, sheep one time, this this has zero to do with whatever. It's just because they have the same word in it. We're going to use it. I watched the guy, I watched the guy one time show a video before about a gas grill blowing up. And then, and he, the, the guy's out there and he puts lighter fluid on it and he's doing some steaks, throws a match on it, blows it to pieces. And I'm looking around, I'm like, okay. Well, I wonder where we're going with this. This was his, his little introductory sermon illustration. And then we got to the sermon and it was nothing even close. I was like, what is the, I, I, I didn't get it. I asked him later. I said, hey, can you, can you reveal to me a little bit what, what was going on with that illustration? I'm trying to, trying to piece it together. Did I miss something? He says, no, today's the first day of summer. And you know, in the summer, you always grill. Yeah. But that's a lot of, well, you, that's a lot of work you made me do to try to, <laughs> Get that out. What I've noticed with your preaching is is just the opposite. You are like, um, I mean, you are like a sniper with yours. They are very, very fitting for the point that you're trying to make, and and that's not a thing you see very often. Yeah. But that's a, that's a skill that you possess that I, I really appreciate, and I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna figure out how to emulate that a little bit better with. Thank mine. you for the so, encouragement. Yeah, I appreciate that. I appreciate that. The other thing that I think you do well. Um, and, and, just just offhand um, one of the things that I think you do really well is you're, you're very much a wordsmith or you spend you at least spend some time being being a wordsmith when you mm-hmm. put this together and so I appreciate that too um, that was a conversation uh, Dave uh, Dave Erickson and I had about about being a wordsmith and you know he does a really good job of that you do a really good job of that too but primarily man your your use of illustration is it, I never I never get nervous when I hear an illustration coming. I don't get that nervous feeling like, huh, am I going to have to connect all the dots? Yeah, to how's this going to fit, right? There's a really to... good story, and I want to use it. That's what Perfect. You know, hey, I know what we're talking about. For the last hour, I've been trying to figure out how an ostrich can work into my sermon. 
I'm telling you, just meditate on that one just a little bit. Ostriches, that thing is, that's just, that's gold right there. That's gold. Well, uh, let me give you a little bit of encouragement. Um, love what you're doing here. Anything to encourage preachers, I think, is is good. Your ability to communicate becomes very obvious just in a, a conversation like this, and it's making me say, okay, I want to find his website. I want to hear yeah, lost it for a minute. I, I heard you say, uh, go find your website and um, hopefully just breeze on by it. I think that's what, how you're finishing that sentence. So. <laughs> no, I was I was simply saying I think this conversation could uh, go on for a long time because you can tell when somebody truly loves preaching or truly promoting preaching, the conversation doesn't end. We, we could go on and on with this because it's part of who you are. Yes. Yeah. Uh, man, I commend you for that, and it. keep it. You know, encouraging the encouragers, encouraging the preachers. That's just that's yeah. incredible. That's a wonderful deal. I'm really, really thankful to really thankful to be part of it. So remember thanks. watching Barack Obama on the night he won the thing, and I don't mean anything political by this at all. Um, but the whole "Yes, we can" thing, and the the way that he was using rhetoric and oratory to motivate the crowd. And how widespread his victory was, even though it was not necessarily something I was in favor of, I was reminded again of the power of speech. Absolutely. And you cannot tell me that it's gone out of vogue, even though people try to insinuate yeah. that it has, that communication is still yeah. uh, where it's at, and it always will be. Thank you for listening in. Didn't I tell you this guy was a 10? I want to thank Jeff for being on the show. And by the way, the 2019 National Preaching Summit's annual event is coming up March 18th and 19th in Indianapolis, Indiana. You can get all the details at preachingsummit.org. I want to thank you for listening. If you want to subscribe to this podcast, great. But listen, it's more important that you share it. There are so many guys out there that need the encouragement, so spread the love. And if you're preaching this week, then I think Jeff's advice is well-fitting for all of us. The humblest preacher in the smallest town can whisper to himself on the way to the pulpit on Sunday morning. Nothing more important is going to happen in this town than what I am getting ready to do. Brothers and sisters, until next time.